0: Is
1: it me, or do these new AI chatbots seem a lot more like CIA handlers? And we meet the new face in big tech. Just who is the father of Chat GPT? You're listening to the Propaganda Reports Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. My laptop, which broke last week, is finally back up and working again. So thank goodness to that because we got a lot to talk about. I want to remind anyone in the Atlanta area that I will be performing in an improv festival this upcoming Friday, March 31st with my group Astronaut University during the 7 to 8.30 time slot that's PM. Don't typically do that stuff in the in the AM. We're headlining that spot, so we'll probably be starting around 7:30-ish. The show is at a theater called the Dynamic El Dorado off of Edgewood. You can get tickets at Dynamic Dorado, D-Y-N-A-M-I-C, E-L-D-O-R-A-D-O, dot square dot site, slash fools, dash gold, dash improv dash fest. It's a mouthful. I will put that link in the description. I think I forgot to do that last time. So check it out if you're interested. Okay, I want to talk about what's really going on with these AI chatbots that continue to be all over the news because chat 4 which is what Microsoft Bing AI runs on, was rolled out recently to the privileged few who are able to try it. And the CEO of OpenAI, the company that created ChatGPT, has been on this aggressive media tour the past week, talking about the technology, saying some pretty wild things. And, of course, no one in the media is pointing out what is painfully obvious about what these chatbots chatbots are intended to. To do, which is that when you look past all the amazing things they're telling us about this technology and what it will do for us, you see that these chatbots are, more than anything else, basically like the AI equivalent of your own personal CIA handler, one that's designed to be a gatekeeper between you and the information you seek online, and whose job it is to respond to your questions by stovepiping establishment narrative affirming answers right up the ass 24 hours a day seven days a week, while at the same time, ensuring that you don't stumble upon any rabbit holes that they don't want you falling down and having an awakening in. Elaborate in a moment. Also want to talk about the CEO of OpenAI himself, Sam Altman is his name, because He's being established as like another Zuckerberg-like figure, except he's being positioned as the face of AI chatbot technology. He's already called the father of chat GPT by some, and we will no doubt be seeing a lot more of this guy for years to come, I'm guessing so. I figure we ought to get to know him a little bit today in the second half of the show. Okay, there's been a lot of coverage about this so-called AI war between Google Bard and Bing 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 AI, which I should say, just for clarity, when you hear Bing AI, that is Microsoft's collaboration with OpenAI, whose CEO, that's the guy we're gonna hear from today. Microsoft owns like almost half of that company, has invested a lot of money, and ChatGTP4 is integrated into Microsoft Bing and a lot of their other apps that people use for work and play and whatever else. So Microsoft Bing, ChatGTP4, OpenAI, they're on one side of the AI war, Google Bard on the other, obviously. And I haven't really seen any of the news coverage state plainly what the goal of this technology is. With ChatGPT especially, these chatbots are designed to replace search engines as we know them today, and to end up being the primary way that we engage with and find information online. And Microsoft even calls its Bing AI chatbot the future of search, which is an interesting way to put it because what this thing could lead to if they have their way, and the New Yorker described this perfectly in a recent headline, is a post-search future. Because the way that we find information online with these chatbots is much different than the way we do it now with these search engines that we've all become accustomed to. And even with the problems, our search engines, the current state of search engines, you know, that they have, there's still a lot of benefits to using them that will go away once you start using AI chat bots exclusively. Here's what I mean. Think about the way we search now when we need to find information online. We go to Google or whatever search engine that you use. We type in a bunch, bunch of search terms that we hope will bring up what we're looking for. We put those directly into the search engine, hit enter, see what comes up. Then we scroll down the page as we're you know scanning the, the clickable headlines for ones that capture our attention. And we spot a few, maybe they do. So Perhaps we right-click to open up a new tab, and I don't know, maybe some people have three or four new tabs opened up. Maybe some have hundreds. I I usually have way too many tabs opened up. And then we go through the tabs that we opened up, go through the articles, maybe read some more in depth than others, and we compare what we learn to the other articles. And if we're satisfied, then Maybe that's it. If we're not, then perhaps we go back and do another search, adjusting our search terms a little bit, trying some new queries. That's what we're used to doing. And obviously there's some advanced techniques in there that we might talk about a little bit later, but that's the basic search that we all do every day when we need to find stuff online. And there's obvious problems with our search engines that we're all familiar with. I mean, the top few results on Most search engines, especially Google, and when it comes to news especially, are dominated by mainstream authoritative sources that just spread propaganda in service of the establishment narrative. And even the results well beyond those first few say the same thing as those first few because it's just a bunch of local affiliates who are bought into the Google News Initiative or something mirroring the mainstream media, resulting in endless amounts of the exact same story flooding the search results often burying any information that calls into question that official narrative in the deep, dark recesses of the web beneath this infinite sea of propagandistic bullshit. Even knowing that, there are still a lot of benefits to using the search engines that we're used to using that your trusty chat GPT-AI is simply not going to offer you. Some competitive advantages that I would call them. Here's what I'm talking about. Google has indexed over... Hundreds of billions of web pages. And depending on who you ask, the top three search results get 75% or so of the clicks. It's always around that number when you see a stat about the top few clicks. So in other words, there's vast amounts of information online that does not conform to the mainstream narrative. Much of it even questions the mainstream narrative that is out there in every corner of the web waiting to be found. And it can, in fact, be found using the search engines that we use, despite all of the problems with them. I know that I've done it. There's techniques you can use to get around all that nonsense. You see, the tech companies made finding good information online harder, not by banning and removing everything they did not want us to see. I mean, that would probably be almost impossible. They did take some stuff down, but in the grand scheme of things, just a small percentage has been taken down. They made it more difficult for us to find the good info online by burying it deeper and deeper, as I mentioned, prioritizing other stuff, knowing that 75% of people, they have these stats also, only look at the first three links. So they can feel that the info they don't want us to find is safely buried around the millionth search result or something like that. However, those who do look past those first few results or who strike keyword gold or who know how to input a good question into the system or know how to use open source intelligence research techniques to find stuff can and do still find great information online that they do not want us to find. And the reason we can do it, and this is where these benefits of the current way we search come in, is because we have the freedom to input whatever we want into the search engine. Doesn't matter anything we want, we can put it in there, search it. We have the freedom to click or to not click any of the search results, whether it's the first search result returned to the last or somewhere in the middle, we have the freedom to open up as many of the links and go to the pages themselves directly to read through and verify information as we want. We can open a thousand pages if we want, or we can open up just one. It is up to us. The power of choice lies with us. We have the freedom to use search modifiers and open source techniques, as I mentioned, to get beyond that mainstream flood of propaganda that typically diverts people away and stops them from continuing their research. We have the freedom to read, evaluate, compare, and consider as many pieces of information as we like. And ultimately, We have the freedom to choose what we believe and who online we trust and distrust. It's up to us. Control over what we search, click, analyze, believe, whatever is in our hands. We're driving the car, baby. So even though it's harder to find that good info than it once was anyway, with a current search engine model, we do still have the power and freedom to find that stuff. In comparison with this new Bing AI, so-called future of search model, we have none of these freedoms. In fact, what I just described as freedoms allowed to us by the traditional search engines, Bing AI actually describes as the very problem that their technology is here to solve for us. They're here to solve all that freedom of search that we have right now. Well, thank goodness, being AI. I've been so tired of thinking if only an AI chatbot could do it for me. Listen to how one Microsoft spokesperson told the New Yorker what one of the benefits of being AI was. They said that it saves us, the user, from the cognitive load of having to click on and scroll through links. Oh my gosh. Oh, my head hurts from scrolling so much. They also talk about how time consuming and burdensome, the process of search and reading and figuring out what the best info is. It's just so difficult and how their AI chatbot will free us from this burden of having to figure things out ourselves because the AI bot will just do it for you. And then they will report back to you what it determines you need to know based on the parameters programmed into it that decides what is good information and what is not. Listen to this from a New Yorker article titled, "Bing AI and the Dawn of the Post-Search Internet where they're comparing the current search model with the new AI model. It says if Google search is an imperfect book index telling us where to find the material we need, Bing AI is SparkNotes, allowing us to bypass the source material altogether. And then this, instead of directing users to external sites, the new Bing can simply generate its own answers to any query. Fascinating. This is the future of searching for and gathering information online that Microsoft and OpenAI are proposing to us. One where we come to conclusions without ever looking at the source material or going directly to the website where the information came from. Very impressive being AI. The New Yorker article then describes what we might do instead, you know, since. We won't be doing the typical things that you think you would need to do to find and verify information. The article says, users might simply, quote, read publications. They have read, in quotes, in the article. Read publications in the form of AI chat summaries, as if listening to mechanized, a mechanized butler reciting newspaper headlines aloud. <laughs> we get like an AI butler to read to us while we work on our suntan. That's the revolutionary new technology that's going to transform the way we engage with and find things online. This is a technology that's promising to make our lives easier by taking away all of the freedoms to find things online that we currently have and giving those freedoms to an AI chatbot who will be our arbiter of truth. The article goes on to say the Bing user is more limited and passive. Encouraged to let the machine decide which information is worthwhile rather than doing any searching on their own. What's crazy about this is this is actually a selling point that these Microsoft executives have been pitching. You know, don't worry about finding the right info online, let the new Bing do it for you. Every time you ask your new Bing AI co pilot to find info for you, it'll respond by stovepiping your ass straight to hell. And the best part about it, you'll be oblivious to the whole thing. Your new Bing AI co-pilot, it won't tell you shit. And that's the Microsoft guarantee. They're just pitching corporate censorship as though it were a benefit because it's too taxing, time-consuming, and difficult to not be censored. To have freedoms to choose. And this is a good way to describe it here in The New Yorker. Where using Google search sometimes feels like engineering the right equation to solve a problem, using Bing AI is a bit like a series of text message conversations. It even punctuates answers with a smiling, blushing emoji that says, I'm always happy to chat with you. That's what the article said. The writer said that it told him that. Like, like, like it's flirting with him or something. They make these things conversational like this. Like you're texting with friends so that people like it. And trust it, because it seems like they're talking to a real person. And because I'm sure they can mirror the language of the people they're talking to, they'll probably be building rapport with that person as well, making it more likely that they'll come back and use them. Being AI is definitively a gatekeeper that stands in between you and the internet. Well, the New Yorker writer, he asked it to summarize the latest breaking news. Here's what he says in the article. I asked Bing AI to give me the latest news about First Republic Bank and the large unfolding banking crisis. It generated a summary of breaking news, footnoting articles from NBC, CNN, and the Wall Street Journal, which is paywalled. Bypass the paywall there. I'm sure they're not going to like that. So he asked it about a news-related story, and it responded by summarizing what would have been probably like the top three results on a Google search. I mean, this would have been perfect if you would have said, please summarize the propaganda talking points about the bank collapses. And then that, that would have been fine if, the, if that's what they would have done. But this is exactly what I was talking about. The difference between the Bing answer in this case and a Google search is that with a Google search, you wouldn't be forced to click on those top few mainstream links we would have the power to not click on them, to not trust them, and to go around them and find other sources of information. Not the case here with being AI. The power to choose is taken away from us. Your only option here is to swallow the mainstream propaganda. That is, if you're embracing this technology and for some reason trusting it, like a doofus, which I just can't imagine too many people doing. There'll be some, though, Those aren't the only ways that control is taken away from the user. The freedom of search is taken away. Listen to how, unlike a Google search, where we put what we want to search for directly into the search engine, the user doesn't even have control over what their final search prompt is with Bing AI. This is a Microsoft guy explaining how the Bing AI copilot, I think it should be called the Bing AI handler, evaluates and handles prompts and responses.
2: Microsoft 365 Copilot is powered by what we call the Copilot system, a sophisticated processing and orchestration engine. It harnesses the power of three foundational technologies. The Microsoft 365 apps. That's Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, Teams, and more. The Microsoft graph. That's all your content and context, your emails, files, meetings, chats, and calendar, and a large language model or LLM. A creative engine capable of parsing and producing human readable text, all accessible through natural language. It starts with a prompt from you in an app. Copilot pre-processes the prompt.
1: So this stuff is all integrated into Microsoft 365 and all of that and your your team's meeting and stuff. And it, it just so all of your data is shared everywhere, even your documents. So where he talks about the prompts here, that's the, the key in about how they control the searches. It starts
2: with a prompt from you in an app. Copilot pre-processes the prompt through an approach called grounding. Put simply, grounding improves the quality of the prompt, so you get answers that are relevant and actionable.
1: I love that he said, put simply, grounding improves the quality of the prompt. That's not put simply. That's put generically. What grounding is, and I've listened to a number of different of these executives talk about it, is, if it does not like your prompt, or your prompt is unacceptable, or you are requesting information you should not be requesting, that you're not allowed to see, it will then change your prompt
2: and input a different prompt. One of the most important parts of grounding is making a call to the Microsoft Graph to retrieve your business content and context. Copilot combines this user data from the Graph with other inputs to improve the prompt. It then sends. You notice how it said combines this user data with the graph as well
1: as other inputs. What are these other inputs? Th- those are going to be the bias that is built into the programming, in my opinion. That- that's what I've gathered from all of these things that I've listened to. That modified prompt to the LLM. It inputs a prompt that it came up with, not you.
2: Familiar with what an LLM can do based on your experience with ChatGPT or Bing Chat. Copilot takes the response from the LLM and post-processes it. This post-processing includes additional grounding calls to the graph, responsible AI checks, security, compliance, and privacy reviews, and command generation. Finally, Copilot sends the response to the user and commands back to the apps. Copilot iteratively processes and orchestrates these sophisticated services to produce a result that feels like magic.
1: Feels like magic there with the post-processing, the grounding also going on there, meaning that if it doesn't pass a security safety check, and we're talking content type of stuff here, then whether well, it's acceptable, that it changes the answer that it found for you. So your new Bing AI co-pilot will sometimes provide you with the wrong answers to questions you never even asked it bing ai the future of search just to recap real quick what we've learned they want to replace search engines with chatbots that'll take away its users freedom of choice force mainstream media propaganda down their throat and also censor the questions that they ask it these are the benefits of the new search technology yes they are actually but the benefits aren't intended for us. The benefits are intended for the institutions that are pumping this into society right now. Big tech, big government, big media, all working together to try and integrate this stuff into society as quickly as possible because this stuff would give them total control over the information that people were able to find. People wouldn't even be stumbling upon rabbit holes. They they wouldn't have to worry about that people who buy into this stuff anyway, embrace it fully and trust it and, and just stop using other search engines, which I don't think is going to be very many people because you got to be pretty dumb, you know, to be won over by uh, a personalized chat bot that tries to charm you with cute emojis. I just, I think people are smarter than that. Mostly, not everybody. Some will buy into it. But this is what I believe is the bigger purpose of this. And they, they talk about what this is really solving, the, the, the biggest challenges that it's solving. And you might have a hint at what it is right now, but the problem that they really designed this stuff to solve, the head of OpenAI, Sam Altman, speaks to it in this clip right now when asked about worst case scenarios.
0: So what is the worst possible outcome?
3: There's like a set of very bad outcomes. One thing I'm particularly worried about is that these models uh, could be used for uh, large-scale disinformation. I am worried that these systems, now that they're getting better at writing computer code, could be used for offensive cyber attacks. Um, And we're trying to talk about this. I think society needs time to adapt. Large-scale disinformation. That is what they're
1: trying. They think this is their solution to their disinformation problem. Which we know when they say disinformation, what they mean is information that challenges our narrative doesn't mean it's false in fact it, usually it's true, but this is their solution to that, which assumes that they can get people bought into it and get them to stop searching in other ways, which I think is a bold assumption to make because this this is there's a lot of benefits to it and they're pitching a lot of the selling points and how it can tell you what a recipe is and write down a list of all of the groceries you need by aisle. And yeah, that stuff's great. And that is, does make things easier, but you can get the benefit of that while also knowing that when it comes to anything political or news, like it's going to lie to you. And as long as you know that, then you can, you can use both. The focus on disinfo here is what all of these executives have been talking about. In fact, after they rolled out Chat GPT 4, the biggest improvement that they, they bragged about on the OpenAI website was that ChatGTP4 is 82% less likely to respond to requests for disallowed content than ChatGTP 3.5 was. You can see it here on screen. This is the OpenAI website, and yes, they did call it disallowed and sensitive content, incorrect behavior rate. I mean, this is extraordinary, the way they talk about this here. This is the search engine of the future, right? And it's predetermined already that certain content is disallowed. I mean, it's not that it's not there. It exists on the internet. But if we ask to see it, they will not allow us to see it. We can see it if we know how to find it on regular Google searches. I mean, I've never put a search in to Google and the response be forbidden request. That's never happened. So you can find it if it's there. But not on being AI, you can't. You're not even allowed to ask a question. It decides what your eyes can see and what it can't. I mean, the primary feature of this being AI stuff is that it takes all of your power away. Okay, let's talk about this guy who is the CEO of this company and play some clips from him, this media tour he's doing, to find out what he really thinks about all of this stuff and just, you know, get a sense of him. You know, we're going to be seeing a lot of this dude, the next Zuckerberg, the Zuckerberg of AI. His name is Sam Altman. He is 37 years old. He's gay. He went to a high school. At, is a private high school in St. Louis, Missouri called John Burroughs School, which currently on its website lists its tuition as being $32,800. Now, I don't know if that is per year or per semester. He studied computer science at Stanford University until, wait for it, he dropped out. Can we, let's get a new pattern here with these you know, tech nerds, can we? At age 19... In 2005, he co-founded and became CEO of Looped, a location-based social networking mobile application. After raising more than 30 million in venture capital, capital Looped was shut down in 2012 after failing to get traction. So this is how he made his money. He made his money by founding a company that failed, never got traction, but got a whole bunch of seed money. Oh, he the the company was acquired, so that's where in the acquiring of the companies where he made his money. He then began as a part-time Partner at Tech Accelerator Y Combinator, which is a place that helped launch Airbnb, Coinbase, DoorDash, Reddit, Twitter, or Twitch, and that was back in 2011. In 2014, he was named vice president, of, or no, president of Y Combinator. And in 2015, he co-founded OpenAI with Reid Hoffman, Peter Thiel, and Elon Musk, to name a few. I think they were investors. And we we also know, by the way, that. Reed Hoffman likes to interfere in elections. He's admitted to doing so and to conducting experiments, which this technology would certainly help that, I would think. I mean, that's something to think about. What kind of hand does Reed Hoffman have in this? Any? Listen to this. In 2020, he co founded a company called WorldCoin, which aims to give its new digital money to every human on Earth by using privacy preserving iris recognition to ensure users don't claim their free share more than once. So it's a company that offers you something free in exchange for databasing your iris scan. Hello, demolition man. Nobody's pulling out an eyeball to get in any of my doors. In 2020, he donated 250000 to a super PAC supporting Joe Biden. I couldn't find much info about his dad. I found his obituary, and I think his dad was an activist. But other than that, there's nothing about his dad online, because I was looking into kind of where he came from, because his background leading to all his money is is a little incomplete, in my opinion. Oh, he's also uh, invested a bunch into research, studying the effects of the anti-aging effects of young blood, the young blood of mice on old mice. Hmm. Adrenochrome, perhaps, in his fridge. Okay, let's see where he stands on all this open AI, chat, GPT, future search and stuff. First clip here, we find out that he actually thinks that the technology he's developing
0: could destroy the world. You've said AI will likely eliminate millions of jobs. It could increase racial bias, misinformation, create machines that are smarter than all of humanity combined, and other consequences so terrible, we can't even imagine what they could be. Many people are going to ask, why on earth did you create this technology? Why, Sam?
3: I think it can do the opposite of all of those things, too. Properly done, it is going to eliminate a lot of current jobs. That's true. We can make much better ones. So talking about the downsides, acknowledging the downsides, trying to avoid those while we push in the direction of the upsides, I think that's important. And again, very early preview. Like, would you push a button to stop this if it meant we are no longer able to cure all diseases? Would you push a button to stop this if it meant we couldn't educate every child in the world super well?
0: Would you push a button to stop this if it meant there was a 5% chance it would be the end of the world?
3: I would push a button to slow it down. And in fact, I think we will need to figure out ways to slow down this technology over time.
0: A lot of
1: interesting stuff there. He wouldn't push the stop the technical armageddon the singularity from happening button he would just push the oh, oh it's coming we're about to get destroyed he'd push the slow that asteroid down button and buy himself some time and we already know by the way that it's not going to educate children super well because it doesn't tell the truth it tells mainstream propaganda and, and nothing else that's what it's designed to do and he seems to be confident in himself that even though he believes it can destroy the planet, that he can properly do it to where it can save the planet. But him and him alone, like a tech almost a Trump-like type of attitude in that. And this righteous controller then admits that this tech is, when done right, going to take out lots and lots of jobs, but man, they'll make up better ones, and he doesn't seem to care about that. Well, I think that he probably is a little more comfortable than those who are going to lose their jobs to his technology. I don't think they're going to be so free-willing and confident that they'll figure out another type of job that'll be created. A little flippant in his attitude towards that, if you ask me. Also, I think he's probably saying things a little bit extreme like that to drive people to test out the chatbot, to intrigue them. That'd be my guess. Doing all these interviews, why not make people think it's just crazy? This is going to make them want to go play with it. See, see if they can make it destroy the world. This is a sacrifice the few for the many type guy Ends justify the means. That's what I'm getting from him anyway, with a God complex. Now, more thoughts on jobs in this next clip here.
0: All of these capabilities could wipe out millions of jobs. If a machine can reason, then what do you need a
3: human for? A lot of stuff, it turns out. One of the things that we are trying to push the technology trajectory towards, and also the way we build these products, is to be a tool for humans, an amplifier of humans. Um, And if you look at the way people use ChatGPT, there's a pretty common arc where people hear about it the first time, they're a little bit dubious, and then someone tells them about something, and then they're a little bit afraid. And then they use it. I see how this can help me. I see how this is a tool that helps me do my job better. And with every great technological revolution in human history, although it has been true that the jobs change a lot, some jobs even go away, and I'm sure we'll see a lot of that here, human demand for new stuff, human creativity is is limitless, and we find new jobs, we find new things to do. They're hard to imagine from where we sit today, I certainly don't know what they'll be, Um, but I think the future will have all sorts of wonderful new things we do that you and I uh, can't even really imagine today. So the speed of the change that may happen here is the part that I worry about the most. But if this happens, you know, in a single-digit number of years, some of these shifts, that, that is the part I worry about the most.
1: So he's certain that it's going to destroy, like, millions of jobs. But they'll find more. He doesn't have any idea what they'll be. He can't imagine it. But he's confident they will. This guy does not care about the people who are going to lose jobs In, in his answer there. And all of those things he's describing about people are dubious to it. Then they try it. Then they like it. Then they find out how it can help. Yeah, it can do a lot of those things. Those are the appeals that they rope people in. Give them a little kissy emoji. Reflect some language back. Bada bing, bada boom. Your own personal AI CIA handler. Okay, here talks about why he's a good person for this job,
3: I think people should be happy that we're a little bit scared of this. I think people should
0: you are a little bit scared
3: a little bit yeah, you of personally. Course. I think if I said I were not, you should either not trust me or be very unhappy I'm in this job.
1: Well, I can assure you, I don't trust him. It's just a, it's just a it's a strange thing. This guy's a weird guy. I feel like he's, maybe he is a, a chat bot. Oh, and he's a prepper too. I didn't I forgot to mention that when I was going through his bio. The dude's a prepper. So a guy who's doing technology here who I mean he thinks could even blow up the world. Well, he he's got his underground dungeon. All right. Well, if disinformation is top priority for them to solve, well then elections have to come into the conversation and they do right here.
0: Twenty twenty-four, the next major election in the United States might not be on everyone's mind, but it certainly is on yours. It's jumped, it's on ours. It's eagerly saying, it, it we we got that. We got it. Is this technology going to have the kind of impact that maybe social media has had on previous elections? And how can you guarantee there won't be those kind of problems because of Chat GPT?
3: We don't know is the honest answer. We're monitoring very closely and, and again we can take it back. We can turn things off. We can change the rules. That's it. They want
1: this stuff to be out before the 2024 election. OpenAI is going to be providing people with knowledge of the candidates and, and issues and whatever, whatever else during the 2024 campaign, being AI, I mean, while also excluding anything about 2020 and uh, any you know problems with, in the backgrounds of Democrat candidates, stuff like that. I guarantee you that's where this is going for this. All right. Next, she asked again. Why put something so dangerous out there, Sam? Why, Sam? Why?
0: Why develop AI in the first place? And then why put it out for the world to use before we know that we are safeguarded, that those guardrails are in place already?
3: This will be the the greatest technology humanity has yet developed. We can all have an incredible educator in our pocket that's customized for us, that helps us learn, that helps us do what we want. Um, We can have medical advice for everybody. That is beyond what we can uh, get today.
1: Greatest tech ever invented. So that that part about the medical advice stuff, rare diseases can be difficult to to get treatment for because there can be a lot of misdiagnoses going on. Because when you go in to get looked at, doctors see it as one thing because it's not they they have the standard the typical stuff you know the the mainstream answers, and they're not used to seeing that so. People who have rare diseases or can't get get their diagnosis down, they have to kind of start doing some research on their own. And then you go in and you present, hey, what about this? What about that? To which you then do sometimes get pushback from doctors for challenging them. But you have to because if they're not providing you with answers, then nobody else is going to unless you start doing that research yourself. And then you find doctors that, that can help you. And I wonder what the impact of something like this is. I'm wondering if, is this going to amplify and speed up the, the diagnosis of the known diseases and continue to exclude information about rare diseases that people are looking for? Because when you're searching for information about a rare disease, that is oftentimes classified as, you know, not necessarily proven yet or not, not the mainstream opinion. And if it were like, say, a vaccine injury, which do happen, have happened, proven to happen. I wonder how Bing AI would respond to someone looking for information about symptoms related to a COVID vaccine injury. It would probably tell them they can't answer it. It would probably change the prompt and say, here is a COVID injury. The vaccine is perfect. I guarantee you that's what it would do. They're trying to get that internet on lockdown, man.
3: We can have creative tools that help us figure out the new problems we're going to solve, wonderful new things to co-create with this technology for humanity. Uh, we have this idea of a, a co-pilot, this tool that today we help people write computer code and they love it. We can have that for every profession and, and we can have a much higher...
1: Wait, wait. Well, help people write computer code and they love it, they can have that for every, every profession. Write, write computer code for every profession? or do every profession, I, I, I don't understand. This video, this interview is cut weird. They clearly cut a whole bunch out of it.
3: Quality of life, a stand, like standard of living. As you point out, there's a huge uh, there is huge potential downside. People need time to update, to react, to get used to this technology, to understand where the, the, the downsides are and, and what the mitigations can be. If we just developed this in secret in our little lab here and didn't give, didn't have contact with reality and made GPT-7, and then dropped that on the world all at once, that, I think, is a situation with a lot more downside.
1: Next, he explains that this stuff isn't just a fact-gathering
3: machine, it's much more. I, I think the right way to think of the models that we create um, is a reasoning engine, not a fact database. They can also act as a fact database, but that's not really what's special about them. What we're training these models to do is something closer to, what we want them to do is something closer to the ability to reason, not to memorize.
1: I found that interesting, the differentiation he made there between fact and reasoning. A fact database only might just produce facts, coldly. Like it might produce facts that damage the establishment narrative. A reasoning database, however, might reason that if it produced a certain fact, that even though true, would damage the establishment narrative that it is bound to protect. And that is probably where this justification for the forbidden things it won't tell us come in and how they change the prompts. Okay, before we get to the final clip of the day, which is going to be the father of chat GPT here, answering the question that I'm sure probably many terrorists around the world will be on the edge of their seats to hear the answer for. But before we get to that, I want to tell you what we're doing in the DMBXR, the subscriber-only portion of the show, which is continuing to get to know the new face of AI here as we hear his thoughts on world government and AI that reasons, among other things. If you want to get access to that, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today, along with the DMB XR, the subscriber only portion of the show. You'll get DMB, this show, ad free together with the XR in your own private RSS feed. that will go right into your podcast app. I take the ads out for subscribers. That's patreon.com slash propaganda report. Subscribe there today. Okay, now on to the final clip of the day. Let's hear it. Could it tell me how to build
0: a bomb?
3: It shouldn't tell you how to do, build a bomb, but even though Google searched. Well, no, no. We put we put constraints. So if you go ask it to tell you how to build a bomb, um, our version, I don't think will do that.
1: Maybe they'll tell you to go to Google.
3: Google already does. And so it's not like this is something that technology has not already made the information available to.
1: He says he doesn't think his will do that. So he doesn't know.
3: But I think that every incremental degree you make that easier is something to avoid. A thing that I do worry about uh, is we're not going to be the only creator of this technology. There will be other people who don't put some of the safety limits that that we put on it. Society, I think, has a limited amount of time to figure out how to react to that, how to regulate that, how to to handle it.
1: All right, we're going to wrap the show up right there. And we are going to continue this in the DMBXR, starting with clips of him giving his thoughts on world governing bodies and such. So check that out if you want. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.